Hello and welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm your host Hugh and today we're talking improvisation, specifically improv, something we'd probably know best from TV shows like Whose Lines Is It Anyway? I'm joined by Neil Kern, an improv expert and performer with over 18 years of management and corporate experience working with organizations like Google, Facebook and Dropbox. I first came across Neil during his Advantage session for IMI members back in 2019. I sat at the back of the room and observed how a bunch of cynical adults who had never met before could connect with each other and have a genuinely good time using improv techniques. The session was about building high performance teams using the technique and myself and Neil chatted about why this would be the case and how an improv mindset can change the culture of your company. So hi Neil, um, I'd like to start with the basics to get the listeners sort of mind in gear. We're, when we talk about improv, we're talking about improv comedy, right? The sort of whose line is it anyway style comedy. Well, hi Hugh. Uh, well, that's probably the thing that springs to people's mind mm. at first, because we'll all uh, try our mind back to the Clive Anderson show in yeah. the, the 90s, I would say. <laughs> whose lines anyway. I'm just about old enough to remember. <laughs> which is still going today in the US. Yeah. Um, and that's the most common association we have with improv is, is, is the comedy aspect. Uh, and, you know, people playing games on TV. But that's probably maybe 10 percent of how big the world of improv actually is mm. and why are we talking about it on a podcast about leadership then well because i often tell my students that comedy is the least interesting thing about improv <laughs> it's all the other things that are, are more interesting um, i apply the skills and tools of improv in a corporate and business setting mm-hmm. i'm not unique in that that's something that's very very popular in the u.s and slowly in europe and and in ireland we're catching up with that mm-hmm. with that curve it's an innovative approach to to training and developing and a lot more companies are becoming very vocal and particularly in the tech sector becoming very vocal about the positive impact it's having within mm. their organizations and why is that it, it struck me actually you recently did a, a session here at advantage it struck me it was very it's a technique really suited for this modern age we keep on we keep on being told everything keeps changing continuously it seems to suit that sort of mindset well it kind of takes a number of boxes well first of all it's a lot of fun and let's be honest learning if we're learning and we're having fun at the same time it becomes easier to learn yeah. but at the same time while it is fun it pushes us to the edge of our comfort zone so we're kind of at that periphery of our comfort zone which is a peak zone for learning yeah. um, and it, that can be a delicate like a delicate line for people that you know we, we go in with these assumptions oh this might be too hard or too challenging or I don't know if I want to do this these are these kind of misconceptions we have in our head but because it's pushing us to that to that periphery and we're in that peak learning zone we're learning by doing so it's very hands on and practical mm. I've yet thankfully never had to bring slides to an improv session <laughs> and hopefully I'll keep that track record so we're getting away from theory and classroom models mm. and getting into a space where people are actively learning at a pace that's relevant and meaningful to themselves and improv really takes the box in that regard yeah I'd like to come this at this conversation sort of from two angles what it does for the individual leader and what it will do for their organization so let's start with that individual leader if you're trying to persuade a senior executive uh, to do some improv training what are the sort of headline benefits that you you start with but it's probably useful if we kind of pair it back a bit and just talk about what maybe improv is and yeah. it's, it's more traditional because we mentioned comedy so essentially the art form of improv is unscripted theater and which most of what we see is comedy so performers walk out on stage with no plan nothing prepared and no script and actually creating characters and scenes or sketches whatever you want to call mm. it in the moment and pair all that back 
and you distill that down to the skills that behind, that are behind that. And you can imagine like the, one of the most common things you might be asked is, well, what do you do when it all goes wrong? But if you've no script and you've no plan, technically you can't get it wrong because <laughs> you haven't set the framework as to what yeah. right and wrong is. So you become very risk tolerant or risk your risk tolerance kind of uh, expands dramatically it's very much a collaborative approach because if you and I here are performing a show together we have this collaborative responsibility to entertain an audience we don't have a plan we don't have a script so we have to pull together as a unit to, to make this work there's no there's no uh, there's no winning and glory hunting in, in, in an improv show so when you look at those individual skills you take those individual skills and take them out of that comedy performing setting you see that they're very relevant to what we do in business and we just take it at that level first I like to say to people and this is my own word so you can criticize it <laughs> I like to think of improv as a form of communication yeah um, because communication skills are a very big part of improvising because mm. we don't have a script I have no idea what you're going to say and do so yeah. I have to listen to you at the starting point is listening and active listening is a key skill no matter how you're approaching improv no matter what type of show you and I decide to do on stage active listening forms a key part of that and we all know how difficult listening is yeah. we listen at different levels when we're on stage you have to listen on a very detailed level because it's not just the words that you're interested in it's tone it's emotion it's all the non-verbals silences all of these things because we're trying to find the meaning in everything everything that we do on stage has a meaning or as we say you're making a promise every movement you have is making a promise to the audience that there's a reason i'm doing this and because we don't have a director saying well when you move over there you're going to pick up that teacup yeah because we're doing as performers we have to observe that because we're writer producer performer and director all in one and we know how important listening is in the workplace and particularly in the modern environment where we're surrounded with distractions laptops mobile phones home plan offices we're surrounded by equipment right now we're doing it right now we're <laughs> drinking tea while we're doing this as well breaking the number one rule of, of podcasting um, i just made that one up um, so because we have all these distractions you know our, our, the challenge to listen in the workplace is being is 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 growing dramatically yeah. And that's just one aspect of communication. Then you have to talk about, then you think about, you know, how you deliver your message uh, and also how your receiver, you know, processes information and processes your message. Because it's not as simple as sticking a notice up on the notice board saying these are the goals for the, for the month or for the well, it, it seems to, it, it's one of its common things is it brings a lot of the threads together, random almost, and tells a coherent narrative story. Well, this is it. And this is kind of, it, it's, that, that kind of can seem like a bit wishy-washy in a way when you say that improv covers so many aspects aspects mm. of, of what we do in the workplace but the reality of it is that that's very true and, and we can break down and compartmentalize that's a word isn't it Car yes, compartmentalize it I can't even say it now, <laughs> into different into different areas so when you think of a leader somebody who has to show leadership in the team uh, or, or leadership with a group of individuals that's certainly somebody that is going to have to be influential and charismatic, mm -hmm. but they're also going to have to be flexible because a leader isn't somebody who does the work. You know, think of somebody who's promoted to manager for the first time and they go through that crisis of being a top performer to suddenly mm -hmm. have to manage other people's performance and they're getting used to the fact, oh, actually, I can't do the work anymore because it's impossible for one person to do it. So it's, a, you know, they have to be flexible and they have to serve their team just as much as they're serving their organization. They have to look after people and get the best out of them. And improv teaches us to be flexible, to be adaptable, and also understand that you know the risk of failure is a part of life. It's part of being human. It's you know it's all, it's it's yeah. our nature, but that's okay. That's an acceptable part of being human, and we don't get hung up on on it so much because with improv on stage, there's no mistakes. Everything that happens was meant to happen, and how we deal with that in the moment just determines how we interpret that mistake. It's only a mistake if we say it's a mistake. 
because our audience doesn't know there's a problem unless we let on. So we just handle that with confidence on stage. No different than a leader facing different ta challenges and facing the different um, problems and issues that a team might face and just being open and ready to handle that. doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. It doesn't mm. mean that that's impossible, but just being open and ready to handle those as they arise is a big part of it without worrying about the risk of if this all goes wrong, I'm in front of HR tomorrow. <laughs> the active listening and storytelling, they're the two I sort of pulled out there. A really practical thing seemed to be presentation skills. Um, I have seen so many brilliant people stand up on a stage and not be able to deliver a presentation. How can improv sort of help that um, process, even within these these really competent expert expertise? But people? presentation is presentation skills is an interesting topic, and even when we say presentation skills, we're 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 segregating the act of talking to a group of people as this skill that only people with certain talents can <laughs> can do. But if we're if we're sitting in in a coffee shop having a coffee, just shooting the breeze as friends, mm. you know that's a setting where we're communicating, where we're presenting. We might be talking about our holidays, what we're doing yep. the weekend, but we never think about God. What's Hugh gonna say if I tell them about my holiday and he thinks it's a terrible story? We don't think like that. But put people in front of an audience or in a business setting. Or, and presentation isn't just standing in front of the room, it's also meetings, telephone calls with yeah. clients or whatever. Um, put people into that setting and they go into this survival mode. If Because if there's any level of anxiety around that, it's like our muscles seize up. We're being wrapped in this bubble uh, bubble wrap. Our voice changes. I've seen people get physically ill before presentations. But it's happened. I, I, there was a few years ago, I, it was at a technology conference in the US. I think it might have been E3, but don't quote me on that, even though I've just said it on the podcast. <laughs> and Michael Bay was to giving a pre, he was giving a talk on, I think it was Samsung was, was launching a new Curve TV. Mm. And he was stood in front of the audience, huge packed auditorium, and the autocue broke down. No. And he freaked out. He, he had a meltdown and said, sorry, I can't do this, and walked off, off the stage. This was Michael Bay, who's known for his big action blockbuster he's known for being a tough guy on set yeah, yeah. autocue breaks and he couldn't hang it and it just shows that no matter where, where we're at in our careers that you know there is a fear and there's there's an anxiety around presenting and things going wrong and you could if you, even just taking that if you look at that Michael Bay's perhaps we're speaking about the chap but he's not here sorry Michael um, <laughs> I think he'd be okay on his pile of money <laughs> that's true <laughs> But his comfort zone or his safety net was the autocue. Yeah. So as long as his script was on that autocue, he was okay. He was good to run. And there was no issue. But as soon as that broke down, that's when it all went, went to hell for him. And what you could say there is that his ego broke down as, mu as much as anything else. So a, a senior leader going into an improv session with all their, their, their uh, colleagues... How much ego do they have to subliminate? Do they have to show... Uh, do they have to show... Uh, God, what's the word? Humility in front of their in front of their colleagues. How difficult is that? Um, what have you seen in your experience of these senior leaders in in the room? Well, I think it's important for us to understand the role of our ego and how often our ego uh, isn't serving our best interests. And because he, our ego can often be a protective mechanism, mm. it's a little bit like fight or flight. You know, if I have to stand up in front of a room and give a talk, my ego is saying to me, "If you mess this up, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to judge you. You know, you never be coming mm. back again." And that's our ego acting, you know, working against against our best interests. Um, and in improv, we 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 talk about the fact that it's very much an egoless 
art form it's an egoless skill because when i'm working with other people in an improv setting or in a, in a professional setting uh, in a business setting my job isn't to think about me particularly in a team setting my job is to look after the people that i'm performing with or that i'm working with mm. because in turn if they're less focused on themselves and more focused on me then we're serving the team's best interest but that's an incredibly difficult thing to do because our ego is saying you better shine here. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. better be the star um, and, and you know we, it, it takes time for us to kind of get away from that mindset it's kind of like learning to ride a bike and the first time you're taking the stabilizers off you've seen other people ride bikes but you you're, you're fearful yourself if those stabilizers come off or the training wheels as the Americans call it when they come off you're going to fall off your bike and maybe you do fall off your bike but inevitably there's a point where you're going to be able to cycle that bike and it's the same thing here it's just trusting that don't worry about yourself because we have to assume positive intentions and in the workplace we do assume, assume positive intentions it was sorry to interrupt you it was one of the things I liked about the improv was you never encouraged people to try and be funny it was no. more let's create a scene and see what happens from there so there was never any uh, as you say it was more collaborative than competitive between the two people yeah I mean comedy is a byproduct of improv and um, mm. I, I kind of cringe when I get introduced as a comedian because I'm certainly not a comedian a comedian to me is somebody who can commit uh, a script to paper or words to paper and say this is funny because it's yeah. coming out of my brain my excuse has always been well if it's not funny I'm making it up anyway <laughs> what did you expect and there's a number of different but I can't too much into the science point there's a number of different reasons why improv is often funny and uh, one of the big reasons is because we're saying and doing the, what we're normally thinking about in real life because we have to do that as to communicate to our, mm. our co-performers and comedy often comes from that uh, because we don't get to say and do these things in real life and, and comedy is inevitable in those situations mm. there's also an honesty we call it truth in comedy we bring an honesty to what to the stage be it the characters that we're playing and again just being honest with characters on stage is not something we necessarily do in real life mm. humor can come from just saying what everyone is thinking um, but that's a natural that's often a natural experience because we all know uh, you've, we've probably had situations we're talking with friends and we say something that we're not, we're not even thinking about from a comedy perspective and everyone laughs yeah, yeah. And it's an unexpected laugh but if you try and say that again and you're forcing it nobody laughs mm. uh, so comedy can be very complex like that but it's that natural it's that kind of comedy in the moment that that's the most rewarding for an audience but improv when we're learning improv it's not about for a lot of improv it's not about learning how to be funny the funny will come the funny will happen it's more focusing on the skills behind it which can kind of seem counterintuitive you mm. know if you are doing a show if you are working towards doing a show where the outcome is the goal of it is to create a com comedy it seems counterintuitive to be not teaching comedy but to teaching skills such as communication and listening and support and collaboration teaching those because it almost seems counterintuitive what am I right in saying okay comedy show improv comedy show the goal is to make the audience laugh what am I right in saying uh, improv in the corporate world is to make people collaborate well that's one that's one skill to, and you also mentioned presentation skills I prefer to think of it as our goal is to entertain an audience and that definitely ticks the box for a presentation because mm -hmm. you're one of the key goals pre presenting is entertaining your audience mm -hmm. you know even if you're presenting you know the latest tax rules you know the, the new budget you still have to entertain your audience just as much as you're informing them to keep them engaged um, so entertainment is the goal um, collaboration is a, is a huge part of it because most improv shows are collaborative yeah, in nature yeah. there's an ensemble so uh, getting to the fundamentals of what an effective team looks like and what, what, what strong teamwork skills look like are very much go hand in hand, in hand. Uh, but also being able to bring presence to a room so executive presence is a big a big thing in business in improv we would consider it power and status so mm. status is a theater term for you know how powerful or confident you can 
act in the moment. <laughs> you know, think of traditional theatre, you know, think of kings and queens and jokers and jesters. So is this is practical stuff like how you stand and, and how you project your voice? That's body, sort of language, like, uh, body language. I mean, think of a classic Monty Python sketch of, uh, of uh, John Cleese in a suit and a bowler hat carrying a briefcase, walks down the streets. <laughs> and without him talking, you would say, well, there's a businessman. He looks very powerful and confident. Hits a banana skin and falls on the ground. We laugh at that because we've, ta- we've taken him from this high confidence position to this low, mm. low power position. And that's all done through body work, uh, through body language. And how we use our bodies, you know, can have an impact on, on you know, the interpretation of the perception mm. of the bodies. We're all familiar with power poses. But often a tip I give people um, with presentation skills, which is, uh, which is to do with body language, is when we st- stand in front of a room to do a presentation, unless we're a politician or we're going to lay people off, the audience is on our side. Yeah. No one goes to a presentation and says, oh, Hugh's presenting today. I really hope it's boring because I love being bored by you. The audience is already on your side. And when you walk into a room, the audience perception is essentially the reality. If they feel that you look confident and that you look like you know what you're talking about, well, then you do. Regardless of what you feel on the inside, that's their perception. And when we're standing in front of a room, and that fight or flight, that survival mode, our ego kind of takes over. And if we're anxious, our body language starts to kind of shut down a bit. We, we muscles tease yeah. up, as I mentioned. But we also start to move away from the audience because the audience are the danger. They're the line in the savannah. So physically? Is. Physically, we will move away. And I say to people, when we go through this process, look at your feet. Are you closer to the wall or to the audience? And just by taking a few steps closer to the audience, and you can try this with your own teams, with your own people, you know, get your audience to watch you stand in front of them, stand closer to the wall, ask them how confident they perceive you to be, take a few steps forward, how do they now perceive you to be? That's just a simple, you know, that's without changing yeah, anything yeah. about your confidence level internally, but that's just a simple, uh, just simple movement that has a huge effect on the audience's interpretation of. And can you talk a little bit about the, the, the link between perception of confidence and actual confidence. There seems to be a lot of actually fake it until you make it is actually true. It's, it isn't, isn't it? It's a controversial thing because mm. we all want to be authentic in what we're doing, but we have to go through that learning process. We, yeah. you know, there is an element of fake it until you make it because we understand you know, perception is reality. If I stand in front of the room and on the inside, I am terrified. We have to acknowledge and we acknowledge fear as part of improv. In fact, what's one of the things that I do very early in a, in a session is talk about, you know, yeah. what are the emotions that we associate with improv and fear and anxiety come up. And the reason we do that is, is to share it in a collaborative setting because if I'm nervous and anxious, I mean, guaranteed if I'm in a room with 20 other people, it's going to be at least half of them are going to be anxious yeah. and nervous as well. So it takes the focus away from me being nervous to, oh, we can all be nervous together. Um, so when you stand in front of a room, uh, the audience is on your side. If you're feeling anxious and nervous on the inside, but you're changing your body language to best position yourself so the audience perceive you as confident and they see you as confident now, arguably that is fake it till you make it and maybe you're being less authentic but you're starting to train your body and train your mm. mind to, to projecting yourself more confident and like anything practice and over time that confidence starts to become a reality and you're starting to tap into that authentic self and um, through your physicality it is a controversial one because fake till you make it and authenticity yeah, yeah. go uh, aren't necessarily intertwined. But it's understanding that we have to practice. No one can do one class on any topic and suddenly master. Muhammad Ali didn't do one training session instead of nail this boxing thing and then become a champion. It's constant practice. So we have that learning curve. We have to grow our confidence, and until we do, there's things we can do to help the training reels of body language to help us per- uh, portray ourselves as more confident. 
just when you talk about training there, it, it, it struck me a lot as well when I was watching your session. There seemed to be a lot of crossover with sort of coaching techniques and mindset. Would you see that crossover? Oh, completely. Well, coaching is essentially unscripted conversations. Yeah. Um, and there's, there is a lot of crossover in uh, between how a coach can, you know, you know in, uh, coach their, their mentee using communication skills, questioning techniques. Um, and another aspect of improv which is the concept of yes and which can be very very powerful in, in that sense can you explain that actually a little bit it seems very famous but I'd never come across it before so yes and is the building block it's, it's kind of the, the foundations of improv so very very simple mm. uh, we uh, yes represents accepting the reality that's presented to us so for example if you and I here are doing a show and I say to you it's a really nice hat you've got on you might say well thanks very much I'm, I'm wearing it because I'm going to the races later and that's not funny or anything like that mm. but you've accepted that I've endowed you with that you're wearing a hat and you've added to that you've used the and statement to tell me that you're going to the races so that was a simple acceptance of what i said we didn't stop for a moment to go well i'm not sure if wearing a hat is the best idea you could have come up with neil and i'm not saying to you well i'm not sure if the races was the best setting you could have yourself in we accept without judgment the ideas of other others and that's the building blocks of, of improv but that's very counterintuitive because we don't like saying yes in real life we're very much in the frame frame of like we might dip our toes slightly out of yeah. our comfort zone so we're in the i think we're most most interactors are in that uh, i'll think about it zone. i'm trying to think about this on a practical level so mm. if i walk in you're my boss and i walk in and i say i believe we have done this or should you accept that reality and say yes and or should you critically evaluate the proposed legislation? No. So yes and is not about in business setting it's not about a literal yes to everything yeah, yeah. but it's about the mindset okay. because we, we think we have 80,000 thoughts a day and 80% of those thoughts are negative so if you apply that to a business setting where you come to me with an idea where's my brain naturally going it's looking for all the problems and yeah. the flaws with it, which could inevitably lead to sorry it's just not going to run but with an improv mindset it's about how do we make this happen okay. what do I need to do to, to, to make this work and that might seem very simplistic in 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 framing but it's actually a very very difficult thing to do because our natural inclination is towards the negative is towards the doubt i actually saw a really nice example that you actually as as a manager in your in your, in your previous life gave when someone came and asked you for a holiday during a difficult time i thought it was a really nice example of how a, a short term just taking that mindset of of trying to be positive actually ended up being very positive in the long run. Can you actually just talk through that a little bit? Yeah, so um, I'll keep the story very brief, but I had an employee who wanted unpaid, unpaid leave um, to go off on a very important uh, spiritual trip yeah. for him uh, was, uh, related to his religion. Um, and he'd used all his holiday allowance for the year, but it was coming at a time it was a very busy period and we weren't really supposed to take time off. So when he came and asked for the time off, he explained why he wanted it. But my urge as a manager was to say something like, Look, I'd love to give you the time mm. off, but you know, we're too busy. Be nice, but say no. Yeah, which probably isn't being authentic because, mm. you know, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, but maybe, you know, my response should have been, there's no way you can have the time off. I'm sorry, but this isn't going to happen. Maybe that would have been more honest. And, but that's where my urges were going as a manager. But my improv mindset was, okay, I can't say yes here. I have to reflect on the impact here. But my mindset was, how do I make this happen? What do I need to do to, to make this happen? I understood that this was a very, very important thing for, for him as an employee. Work-life balance is very, very important yeah. to him. Um, so I took it away and I used that as my starting point is what do I need to do to make this happen? So I ended up approving it in the end. And there was a huge win-win because he 
genuinely felt that his manager cared yeah. about what was important to him and the organization cared. So his loyalty to the team and to the organization grew as a result of that. But also it kind of demonstrated, well, hang on a second, we have this busy period and, you know, maybe we have to consider contingencies for when unexpected yeah. uh, challenges come up, such as, you know, sick leave and things like that. And so it was a win-win all around in, in that respect. But again, even as an improviser and as a, a manager and an improviser, my brain, my ego was was going to that zone of I'd love to give you time off but yeah, yeah. I can't so it's interesting just to sort of end on the sum up of the, the individual side it, it is training your brain just to sort of shift your mindset yeah very much so and understanding the impact you have on others mm. I'll give you an example there's a, a, a chap who's a friend of mine and he used to run his own business he's in a different game he's in a startup game now and he's a very much he's got a very strong personality very dominant personality and he when he we met through improv and when he learned improv one of the things he spoke about as a leader was it, it gave him the ability to understand the impact he was having on others as that personality type he had come from a zone where he would go into meetings with his teams tell them what needed to be done and told them to go do it yeah and you know he didn't what he didn't know was he was sucking the life out of the team that he had of the people around him so improv taught him as to when to play the kind of high power highly influential person and when to take the back seat and allow others to bring their ideas to the table and to flourish and mm. um, and that was a huge impact as a leader that he took away was knowing when it's given when it's take or you know that saying uh, that kind of cliche saying of letting other people come up with my, my ideas for <laughs> yeah. me. Um, and that was a very very powerful thing for him as a leader and that's you know it's having that self-awareness you know you might have that expectation that I'm the boss I better go in here and tell people what to do and that's what leadership is but no there's a little bit more to it than that it's understanding the give and take and empowering your people to get the best out of it if people feel they have a part to play that they have a stamp that they can put on process an objective a goal mm. then they're more likely to buy into it and succeed well let's talk about those people now so simple question um how does improv improve team dynamics there's a fair amount of research that says despite the holy grail of wanting people to work collaboratively teams can often actually reduce the productivity of its individual members Firstly, why is this? And secondly, how would improv improve teams' performance? So, uh, so that it's a controversial statement because it's not teams that bring down uh, productivity, it's bad leadership. Okay. Um, and kind of like using that example I just gave, if you've got a bad leader that is trying to do everything his or her way or is, is, you know, is ruling the roost, you're not in a team environment there. You've got, you've got a dictatorship and that's not going to get the best out of people. But improv is a very much a collaborative thing. And I like to think of a team a bit like a jigsaw with moldable pieces. We all have roles to play. It's not like you have a team of five people and everyone is contributing 20% yeah. equally across the board. We have different responsibilities. Work has to be distributed fairly. And you have to give people the responsibility, the authority, and the respect to be able to do their job, but also understanding that we have to pull together as a, as a team. We're not in a siloed position. And that involves give, give and take. Um, it means helping out other people. It means using your strengths to help people in the areas where they're not so strong at. Um, if you think about it on stage uh, from an improv perspective, if you watch an improv show and you're to an untrained eye, you'll see one person is really funny or you will interpret as being really funny. And you might say, gosh, Neil and Hugh, Hugh did a show and Hugh was so funny. He's really, really funny. But you have to understand behind that, well, what's making Hugh funny? It's not that Hugh is coming out with these sharp one-liners or mm. these, these concepts that are really funny. It's the support that you're getting from the Neil in that show that I'm giving you to empower you, enable you to come kind of hit these com comedic Interesting. Just, just Do you find that actually in your shows when you do shows, one person 
will stand out not like differently so tonight Neil will stand out tomorrow he will stand out and it's because the group have been working probably subliminally to do that yeah it's funny I there's a, tu- a duo show I do in Dublin with a very good friend of mine Jenna O'Brien she's from Boston and we did a show last week actually uh, we do a, sh- a, sh- a workplace set show so someone will tell us a little bit about where they work and then we will set our show we're two employees working in their workplace so we, in our show we ended up working for a, a well-known tech company uh, and we were software engineers and it just so happened with the characters we played in the show that she was getting most of the comedic lines her mm. character was a little bit off the wall and after the show people would come up and congratulate you and so we're standing together people go, oh Neil that was so great that was really, really funny and they turned to Jen and go oh my god you were so funny <laughs> and then we'd laugh about it because again she would say well I can't be who I am on stage yeah, yeah, without yeah. the support of Neil and that's you know that happens regularly with shows another night it's me who's in that mm. role and um, but that's a collaborative a collaborative thing if you ask us at the end of the show or any improv team at the end of the show you know what made that show funny what made that show work and let's say it's all about the support whatever ideas you whatever you bring to the table we will unconditionally support think of a team meeting and you're asking people to bring ideas to the table again be open allow for open communication in that setting allow people to have that mindset of well, what do we have to do to make this happen what do we have to do to kind of nurture these ideas mm. rather than going with the mindset of well you know, I don't think that's the great idea as I mentioned because what are we actually doing if we're taking that negative approach we're kind of knocking confidence in a way because if I feel like well I'm bringing up these ideas and they're getting shot down certainly if you're introverted that's going to make you less likely to be more forthcoming with mm. ideas and hold back on things whereas if we're in that open setting if we're in that if we if we have promote open communication and a supportive environment it makes it, it makes for a lot more productive and a lot more engagement from everyone that doesn't mean you're going to ruin every idea that it's that's been brought to the table but taking that positive aspect that positive view of it rather than going from that negative setting certainly makes makes it better for all um, let's get down to practicalities again and look at something that happens very regularly within organizations or team building days um, I'd be the sort of person that when a team building day is on I'd mysteriously be on holiday <laughs> so I think that is fairly regular thought process I, I this I'm a fairly social person but I would imagine I'm not in the minority when I say that team building days filled me not with dread but with anxiety I suppose why is that um, and why don't I feel like I'm in the minority here but a team all the studies show like everyone agrees in an organisation no matter what level they are team building is an important part yeah. of development I always teams. enjoy them but the flip side of it is if you go into your team and say hey we're going to go off and we're going to do some I don't want to name companies because or anything, but we're going to do some activity that involves stacking hay in a field yeah. in the, in, and down the countryside, and everyone rolls their eyes. And um, but there's a number of different reasons for that. Is because a lot of team building activities that people engage in, not all, but but a lot of activities, have a competitive angle. So if you're trying to develop teams, but you're bringing a competitive angle to it, mm. already you're not working in the best spirit of what effective teams and what teamwork looks like. Also, if there's a physical challenge, you're alienating people who aren't necessarily getting a kick out of climbing trees or ziplining yeah. or running three-legged races. And as, as fit as I try to be, I myself, I'm not into <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, So where improv is different is, it's, again, it's a very collaborative setting. Now, that's not to say there's no challenge there, because um, you, if you say to you or I, you're going to climb that tree and zipline you know, 100 meters into the forest, that sounds quite terrifying. No different than if you say you're going to do an improv class, which will involve, you know, at some point getting up and doing a, an unscripted performance mm-hmm. in front of your peers. That could be equally as terrifying. Benefit of the improv one is it's not going to rain. 
because you're indoors <laughs> and there's no risk of physical injury but aside from that there's no competitive angle because really the danger in an improv class is not falling out of a tree it's the improv facilitator it's the yeah. trainer who's saying to you this is what you're going to do there that's the danger that's the threat i'm using air quotes on a podcast that's the threat <laughs> but everyone else is on everyone is on the one team and there's no scoreboard there's no ranking you it's about collaboratively working together to pull off whatever objective is being set by the facilitator and you realize that the fears that the 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 fear or the anxiety you might have about the challenge is a shared one because there's no roadmap to it there's no kind of script that you have to follow there's no rules as such that you're you're being told to remember so you are pulling together and you realize that in that setting that there are roles that we play again coming back to that there isn't a 20% 20% across mm. five people on a team and to use a simple example one of the exercises we we use and um, we get two people up to do a sales pitch and like you know like if you think of you know the shopping channel and infomercials you know you see that people that on the tv they play different roles and yeah. then you'll have a salesperson you might have a, an engineer no different than in, in, in business where you'll have the salesperson you'll have the product expert or you'll have the the software engineer whatever it is that you're selling and they all have different roles to play and that comes out as well in the improv setting with a lot of exercises you realize that sometimes you're in a support role sometimes you're in a, an expert role and other times you're at the forefront of it mm. that's not something that's predetermined during improv it's something that naturally emerges so you're bringing out the best of yourself and you're bringing out the best of those around you without the pressure of having to come up with that from the start or without having to decide that from the start. It's interesting that you mentioned sales there because I was actually going to ask you, because I understand the collaborative versus the competitive, but I was also thinking of that sales team director that wants their sales people to be ultra competitive. Where is the benefits for those sales teams leaders for having an improv session? Is it to work more collaboratively with the customers within the team across the whole thing? Do they lose to competitiveness? No, in fact, improv and sales goes very much hand in hand. Yeah. Um, like on an individual level with sales, and they've done plenty of studies on this. Um, you know, the impact of uh, salespeople being trained in improv has been shown to increase the level of sales. But it goes deeper than that. And um, just getting away from the team aspect for just yeah. a moment, adaptive selling. Uh, becomes a, 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 a greater scale of the salesperson. And the reason for that is because as improvisers were trained to be okay with the fact there's a risk of failure, air quotes again, mm-hmm. there's a risk of things going wrong. We're okay with that, we understand that. So a fear of rejection uh, is eroded as you're trained in improv, you understand that's a part of it and you're okay with it. So adaptive selling becomes uh, a strength of salespeople in that setting. They're able to, to deal with the unexpected, they're able to deal with those curveballs and turn them into a positive. Um, and there's plenty of studies that show those benefits that I, I'm not going to speak for companies that want to pit salespeople and salespeople you're creating that competitive environment yeah. is, that a, is that a positive culture? I don't know I haven't looked at research <laughs> on that uh, but certainly on the individual level in those salespeople being able to improve their ability in that field it's, it's very much like bread and butter it goes hand in hand that's interesting um, what is you talked about introverts uh, people being terrified of going up on stage is this not the most terrifying thing that an introvert can do is ask them to go up on stage and perform I'm saying that in air quotes myself in front of all their colleagues well they're your words they're not my words <laughs> I'm an introvert well I, I don't think we're, we've got you know we're introverts with extrovert tendencies and extroverts yep. with introvert ten- tendencies um, the, the interesting thing about it is that's this stigma that we have is yeah. we feel this is something I can't do or even better this is something I don't want to do 
because of the way improv is learned, the way we, we go through that process, there's, there's a nice learning curve with it. We start with simple things and we build up and we go build towards achieving something bigger. So every improv, improv class you take, your comfort zone is expanding all the time. It's interesting. I, I, I said it's a potential scale of embarrassment. So it, 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 the first few ones were very, very no risk. Yeah. And it went slowly, 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 slowly up. It was an interesting uh, escalation throughout the. But you see, this is the thing: your comfort zone is expanding, yeah. even though you're not consciously necessarily aware of it. Your comfort zone is expanding all the time. At the early start of taking improv, it's that thing of you: you're caring about what you think other people think of you. I'll give you an example. There's an exercise that that I use that focuses on the idea of failure, and I introduce a forfeit in somebody making a mistake in the exercise, and we're all standing in a circle. And what I do is I get the person who makes the mistake, air quotes, uh, to dance in the middle of the circle, do the worst dance they can possibly do, <laughs> and all the eyes are on them. And for the first couple of people, that becomes, oh God, I don't want to make a mistake, I'm very self-conscious. But as the exercise goes on, you realize, hang on, no one's looking at me doing a dance, because they're so concerned and obsessed with not making a mistake, they're so focused on continuing the yeah. exercise, no one's watching the dancers. So we get that sense of, we become so obsessed with making a mistake, we don't care about other people's mistakes it's not relevant to us it's all about ourselves so getting back to your question about performing on stage because it's collaborative in nature and we're on this journey together and there's no competitive angle if it's myself and yourself Hugh going through the program by the time we get to that stage where there's a question asked would you like to perform on stage this guy's well you know we've come this far together you've been supporting me throughout the process Feck it, sure. let's, let's give it a start. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing because most people who take, take my classes outside of their organizations, you know, they come from a professional background and nine times out of ten will say, look, I'm not here to perform on stage. I just want to gather the skills. And nine out of ten people will perform on stage. In fact, some of them have come on, have gone on to become regulars on the improv scene. Oh, really? <laughs> and they're the very people who at the start said, I'm only here for the skills. And that's something very nice about it as well, that you get that sense of achievement. And you know what, actually, I'm walking in on stage unscripted, uh, un unrehearsed, on no plan, and I've, I've entertained an audience. And if you can do that on stage with no script and no plan, think about what would happen if we put you in front of an audience where you've prepared your slides and you put some thought into it. And let's talk about when you've gone back to your business. So it, it's very hard to, to measure impact statistically, but can, can you tell me about some of the, the, maybe the groups that you've worked with as teams, particularly how they've been before the improv and how they've gone in and maybe like a year later, how that sort of mindset shift has changed how they work. Sure. So when I was doing my master's, um, my thesis was on using improv and teams. So I got to firsthand talk to people oh, cool. that I knew and that I didn't know about you know, the impact that it had in their organization. Um, one of the common things that came out of the research was open communication and trust. Mm. People moved away from that sense of trust being something that you earn to uh, trust being something that you have a responsibility to create with your peers. Um, and that allowed for open communication. So that created a, a very fruitful environment, particularly in uh, professions or in teams where there's a level of creativity and innovation required. It created a very fertile environment. In fact, there's one uh, company that I worked with and um, they went through a program, they brought improv for the whole company, although it was a small company and they're in the innovation sector. And they, they found it's such a positive impact. They actually have yes and 
frame <laughs> in their boardroom where they meet their clients to just keep them in that mindset. Um, but other, you know, there was one, there was one company I, and they coincidentally were doing a study on um, uh, customer service and customer satisfaction. And they were actually able to demonstrate that they had reduced costs, but customer satisfaction had increased and they were able to draw a direct line between improv training and that uh, that impact now with most types of training you know measuring return on investment can be quite a tr- quite a tricky thing and um, i can't take credit for this one but the the company ask.com just take credit for it it's fine. this was on me this <laughs> happened before i was born no uh, ask.com uh, the ceo doug leads so they yeah. used to be known as ask jeeves they are an internet company mm. and in the noughties uh, the company was running its great difficulty and they were trying different things to kind of reignite the company and, and profitability and Doug Leeds famously read Tina Fey the actor's book mm. uh, Bossy Pants and she talks a lot about yes and in it um, and I'm guessing I've never met Doug Leeds so I'm, I'm just making an assumption here I'm assuming there was something in that book that made him say we've tried everything else why don't we try this yeah. and he rolled out an improv program across the company and on record they asked our comic said I think it was 2009 the revenues went up 60% and they said well improv wasn't the, the direct reason for that it certainly had a huge impact in the company turning around it seems a very much a, a, a lever a sort of a mindset shift that will lead on to a lot of other exponential rewards that you really can't judge yeah and, and that's it I mean it is a mindset it's a philosophy it's all, all of those fancy things and like I say it's a process of communication uh, you know you don't get rewarded in life if you don't step out of your comfort zone if you yeah. don't say yes things like you can't win a lottery you can't win the lottery you don't buy a ticket can't win um, a lottery when you win buy a lottery <laughs> but you know asking what can I do to serve you know the people that I'm working with the people around me and the team and injecting a bit of fun with that along the way it's inevitably going to have you know a positive impact you know even at a basic simple level um, and that's something you know certainly from my own personal perspective something that improv has given me is you know say yes and worry about it afterwards you know somebody presents a challenge to you jump at it you know because if I think about it too long I'm going to come up with all the reasons why I shouldn't do it uh, why I shouldn't skydive why I shouldn't you know work on this project that has a high risk of failure it's very easy to come up with reasons why you shouldn't do things so embrace it and worry about it afterwards there's a cliche we have in improv of you know fall and worry about what you're going to do on the way down uh, and it's very true perfect Neil um, thanks so much for coming in that was really fascinating thank you cheers Hugh.